Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. On today's podcast, I'll be interviewing Lee Matthew Goldberg about his new book, Runaway Train. Runaway Train just came out a few days ago from Wise Wolf Press. You can get it off of Amazon or bookshop.org. Lee is a writer born in New York City. He has published several books from both small and larger presses. He is also the co-founder of Fringe and is writing screenplays when he isn't immersing himself into writing novels, which is something he does almost all of the time. On this episode, we discussed cringy concerts, the process of releasing multiple books in one year, grunge music, Portlandia, and how Courtney Love is actually really misunderstood. At some point in the interview, I ask him an off-the-record question that will only be accessed by patrons of Textual Healing on Patreon. Not to say every random thing we discuss in this episode, I think it's time that we start the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. I was psyched to have you. I was shocked that you wanted to be on the show. Ben oh, of course. Me, and I was just like, really? He wants to be on the show? Oh, no. not. I, first of all, Ben is the best. And um, he's been so great with publicity for me, just getting me podcast gigs and essays. Um, and I'm happy to do anything, really, just you know, to help promote. And your show seems wonderful. It's kind of dorky, but yeah. <laughs> I like dorky. dorky. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little dorky myself, so that works. Yeah, I could tell that. I was listening to your playlist um, yesterday. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I was driving around the highway, just kind of like checking it out. I know you're from New York, so you guys don't really get to cruise around as much. No, I don't even, I've never gotten, I'm 40 and I've never had a driver's license. See, last person I spoke to in New York, same problem. And I was like, really? Yeah, I was just like, oh my God, you so don't get the fun of just like road tripping and like just throwing on great music. It's true. And this last year, kind of just being stuck, I was like, this is the time I should have gotten my driver's license. Like, it would have been nice to just be able to escape Manhattan that way. God, that would be so great. I actually have to get my driver's license renewed by June 1st. Originally, I was supposed to get it renewed um, on my birthday in September, but mm-hmm. pandemic, they were just like, we're right. just going to push it back and further back. Like, originally, they were like, February, and then they were like, January, and then they were like, June. I was like, okay. You're like, how about never? Like, just keep it. Yeah, you know, I don't understand why I can't just email it in or do it I online. Know. I mean, even for me, I have to go to get like a non-driver's ID. And I mean, the DMV in New York, it's it's just pure hell. You're there for like four hours, basically. It's about the same here. Yeah, I'm sure. I would assume it's pretty bad everywhere. It's it's sort of, yeah. <laughs> like there's a reason why there are jokes about it all the time. Yeah. But I feel like we're in, you know, 2021. There should be a way to do it. Not where you have to go in at this point. Well, apparently there are some, like once you hit like senior citizen age and shit, you could just do it online, which I think is totally the opposite. I mean, they're the ones who need to take (laughs) tests and be like, are you still able to drive? Yeah. I mean, I think about like my mom who would be like, you're going to have to do this for me because I can't do it online. And I'm like, well, then you should just go in already. Like if if it's, if we're at that point, you know, (laughs) basically, no, I like actually giving my mom like questions, like pop questions about like driving and everything and she doesn't know him i'm just like mm-hmm. we need to get rid of your license like right 
is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. I think it's a hard thing. I mean, my mom, it's been years since she's driven. Again, she lives in Manhattan and she doesn't really have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a hard thing to give up, like, if, if, if you're so used to it for so long. Yeah, I bet it is, but I don't know. I already you also don't want people to parents. die on the road, you know, like, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I pissed off my parents by saying they shouldn't be allowed to drive anymore. And then I want to say, like, around last Easter, I was just like, they shouldn't be able to vote anymore either. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm assuming that was for good reason. Yeah, I mean, they did all vote the proper way, in my opinion, but I was mm-hmm. just like, eh, you guys got us here in the first place. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I I also feel that anybody that voted the other way, their vote should count half this next time. <laughs> I know that can't be real, but like, it probably should be. We all have dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think we should also like start reforming the Democratic Party so it actually resembles what the Democratic Party was made to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so much that needs to be done. It's like, baby steps i'm happy like i can't imagine what now would have looked like if biden hadn't won like would we even have vaccines you know there's just so many things that could have gone completely south so it's like let's get out of this moment and then fix the future moments yeah i'm really worried that he kind of implied that he kind of wants to be a two-term president and asked me like we need to revoke that too you're too old yeah, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about that. It, it sort of depends. Like, let me see how the four years go. And if mm-hmm. I feel like because then it could be like he does it for four years, then Kamala Harris does it for eight years. And then we're kind of locked in for a while. I feel a little more secure that way than like somebody else coming in and it going left or it going right, actually. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not right, but right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like it if Kamala Harris got it. It would be really cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I think like, I think that's their aim. I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm of the mindset that like, if he does a great job these four years, and he seems like he's able enough, then that wouldn't deter me from giving, you know, a vote age wise, and oh, then no. ushering in like a new, you know, precedent, like younger, not white, you know, just all these things that like, that's where we need to be headed in the future. <laughs> He's definitely made a lot of, uh, I don't know, I guess you would call them fumbles. But, like, I'm able to forgive them because he's been doing pretty good. But I don't know if you remember the, and this is how it's sad that I have to be like, I don't know if you remember because there have been this so many shootings yeah, yeah. this year. But you remember the one where uh, the guy killed a bunch of Asian women? And he was just of like, course, yeah. we don't quite know what the motive is yet. And everyone's just like. Right, right bigotry racism he ne- he never actually like marked it as a hate crime no oh uh, i didn't realize that yeah that's you know i mean i feel like with biden what i like about him is i feel that he cares actually so you know you could feel that in him as opposed to the last guy completely um but if we're going to get out of this where there's a shooting every, you know, and that the majority of them have been hate crimes, mm-hmm. you need to call it that right away. Yeah. It's so wild how many shootings we've had ever since like the lockdowns have eased. It's like people are making up for lost time. It's exactly it. It's you have people who have been kind of, you know, trapped in their homes 
and somebody who's trapped in their home who's either mentally unstable or you know prone to violence it's like they're let out and that's the first thing that they go to do so it's sad that i'm not almost not surprised it's like we had a, the the covid was the only time there was a break from mass shootings uh and then it literally picked up right where we left off it seems like i mean we really have had like a break and it was so nice to be like wow this is the first time in like two years we haven't had a single school shooting but yeah there's actually a really great book that i was reading i just did a review of it jeff chan he made Mm -hmm. a book called uh hashtag good guy with a gun okay and it's precisely um the premise that a guy has gone into a place to do a mass shooting only for another person to be there trying to do a mass shooting oh wow and i'm just like i feel like we interrupted a lot of people's plans that they, yeah. that they made like especially because it was in march it's like that's usually when school shooting season happens right you're getting to like the end of the school season and i i, I mean i don't know what goes through somebody's mind that like that would be the time um yeah i mean i'm i'm of the mindset you know we've had a not great year and for as much good to come out of this as possible so but I feel like it's like an echo chamber. It's like, yeah, we want gun reform and all of these things, but is it ever really a reality? I mean, I I don't know with like Republicans not ever budging in any way, shape or form. They just love their guns. And I don't want to take anybody's like the, what is it? The playbook that they did during Obama where they all unite and they're just going to not vote for a single good thing. No, that's, that's basically it. I mean, Anybody that was surprised in the last four years at how horrible they were has not been watching for many years. It's like they've always been horrible. It's like they had a bigger mouthpiece to be horrible and they latched on to it. Um, but it's not like all of a sudden he's gone and Mitch McConnell's, you know, the greatest person. Like he's the devil. <laughs> he looks evil like, as fuck. He be- it looks like he belongs in like a villain movie. Like he could totally be yeah. like a Disney villain. He always looks like he's watching a school bus like hanging off of a cliff and he's just kind of waiting. Like he, looks, he always like, has that smile. excited by it. Yeah. yeah that he just it like gooses him. Um no, I mean he's a horrible person and hopefully you know, I mean it's terrible to say but like hopefully just something gets rid of him, you know, for this whether it's like I don't know, sh- shingles, whatever it is. It's like go away. I waited four straight years for a Trump assassination, so I've just kind of realized my hopes and prayers don't go towards anything I actually want. (laughs) My problem with that would be I never wanted him to become like a martyr, and I feel like he would have become like the next coming of Jesus had that happened. Um, So it's more like something else needs to come, you know, like more like hobble him as opposed to completely Mm. remove him. When you say hobble, I immediately think of misery. (laughs) Oh, see, I went, this maybe dates me, but I went um, Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding. (laughs) Oh, God. That's a classic thing that I don't know if younger people know. I think also there's a moment in my book that it's mentioned because it takes place around that time. So I think my brain is just kind of in this 1994 (laughs) mode for a while now. So every reference is just like going to that. Um, but yeah, it. I mean, there was the movie that came out a few years ago. I, that Tonya. kind of, 
Yeah, so like that may have, but I think the average like 16 year old obviously would not know who Nancy Kerrigan is. I mean, that would be weird if they did almost. It would be interesting. I don't know. I'll have to ask my nieces because like they're teenager, like, and then 21, like they're Gen Mm -hmm. Z. Mm -hmm. So they'd let me know. They hated your playlist, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Had they known, that's great. Did they know the songs before or it was their first like introduction into it? Um, they knew a lot of the songs, but mainly, like, it's because their annoying aunts and uncles all are Gen X, except for me. Okay, yeah. And they're used to me playing better music, and I'm just like, no, I really get into this music, too, because I have, like, a Kurt Cobain shirt, and I've seen most of those bands live. Yeah, that's amazing. But, like, it, I don't know, it, turned it, that off, and then we had to listen to Taylor Swift on the car ride back home. <laughs> Well, that's unfortunate. I mean, she's actually somebody at first I kind of rejected. And then I really she's really great song. I don't go home and just play her music. It's not my thing. But I think she is a pretty amazing songwriter as songwriters go. Um, And there was he's he's been a little bit canceled, but there was a a Ryan Adams. um, He redid one of her albums and it made me listen to it in a different way. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I it just made me kind of like listen to her lyrics more. But she's no Kurt Cobain or Courtney Love. Like, that's no. sorry, Taylor, if you're listening. It's not it's not <laughs> happening. No, believe me, if she's listening, then she's probably heard a lot of divisive thoughts on her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, she I appreciated in i think it was around the midterms where she really took like a political stance because she has so many followers and probably lost a lot as well because she's you know country and southern and um i I think a lot of people were surprised learning her political beliefs so i have to respect her for like taking that chance and you know um standing up for you know kind of what's right um even though i'm still not like blasting her when i get home (laughs) You have no idea what the blasting of the Taylor Swift yesterday felt like. <laughs> like I it's was a lot. A, an adult, and seriously, I just let them have my phone, and occasionally they would just be like, "Which album next? Which song next?" And it was an hour of just straight going oh, through wow. her discography, and I was like, "Damn, I can't take it." And they know every song. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I think I guess it's similar. You know, I mean, I was a teenager at the time of when the book takes place in, in 1994. Mm-hmm. But I loved a lot of like seventies music at that time too. I didn't ever look at it like, Oh, this is like old people music. I, I listened to a lot of like Creedence Clearwater and the Rolling Stones and Janis um, yes. Joplin. And I, I, I was a huge fan of that music. Um, so it's, it's strange to me that I think now these days, a teenager would be like, ah, that's like fogey music, you know, Soundgarden, like who would listen to that? Um, where, you know, I, I don't know, to me, it was it was the best music to kind of grow up in. And it was part of the reason why I, I really wanted to write the book. A, I wanted a little bit of a break from current times. So it was a way of kind of like, you know, stepping in a time machine for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it like reinforced just my love of that, that music and that so many sadly of the artists aren't around anymore really particularly from that era like it it a lot seemed to really kind of follow um you know overdose drugs um that kind of path um and and then the books about that as well it's about sort of you know like 
mourning these heroes but not giving everything to them because you don't know them personally you know they they could kind of help you out through a situation you're in in your life because you kind of connect to the music but it's not like losing somebody you actually know you know these are really just figureheads do you want to give a quick summary of what the book is about sure yeah absolutely um so runaway train is about a girl named nico sullivan um and she's a really rough 1993 um her favorite actor river phoenix uh dies the same day as her um only sister Kristen. um and it was a very sudden death she she died of a brain aneurysm um things aren't so great at, at her, her in her home uh, you know her parents obviously aren't reacting to it very well and kind of neglecting nico um she's going a little bit off the rails you know with alcohol with, with pot and through the encouragement of her delinquent friend, she decides to run away and do every item on her bucket list, almost as a tribute to her sister who wouldn't be able to do those things. And her sister was a huge fan of pop music. So she loved at that time, like Mariah Carey and Ace of Bass. And they always had a kind of a contentious relationship that way. So she makes a mixtape for her sister of all her favorite songs, her gr favorite grunge songs from that era. And then each chapter be kind of kind of becomes a new song um, and, and and a new experience that she goes through as a testament to her sister. So it's it's a very bittersweet kind of sad, but also you know fun novel as well, and 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 about sort of you know grappling with your demons and being able to move on from them, and um, you know kind of be your best self. I noticed on the uh, website you tell the summary from the first po person point of view mm -hmm. yeah is, that, is mm -hmm. that how it's written the entire book yeah so the book is written in the voice of a of a 16 year old girl um and that was a challenge for me uh, uh but i've written i mostly write thrillers so this is my first young adult um book i've written about psychopaths cult leaders i have a book about um people stealing livers off the black market so my books are all sort of very dark thrillers. And I wanted to write a, a kind of a, a sweet book about a girl, um, you know, really kind of learning who she was. She wants to be a singer um, and kind of finding her voice. And it wouldn't have worked in the voice of a, of a, of a boy. Um, yeah. So I made, I made that kind of call. Um, and so far I've gotten really good feedback about it. I was a little really nervous in all honesty um because um i i didn't want to uh, you know overstep my place in terms of like what's acceptable to write about but i'm also the mindset um that like i said I, i've written books about people that i obviously would never have any connection with or, or or be um and and that the research sometimes really dictates um you know um how you're able to write it um, and it's going to be a three book series. So I, I think my publisher is happy enough with, um, <laughs> the way that I've done it. Yeah. I noticed that like, it's mainly, uh, just grunge music. You don't yeah. have any mm -hmm. riot girl on the, uh, there's a little bit. I mean, there's L7, um, yeah, I yeah, guess like L7. They... Would you count yeah. Hole? Is like Riot Girl still? I or? think I would. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think when you think of Riot Girl, maybe it didn't fully break into mainstream. So it still was kind of, you know, on the fringe. Um, and so if you look at sort of Hole's early albums before, you know, Courtney Love and Hole really broke with, with Live Through This, I would think that that was, um, that that kind of was Riot Girl. 
Um, but then it's also thinking about, I mean, my character, she's from Los Angeles. So she's a little in the mainstream. Had she, you know, grown up maybe in Seattle, um, you know, she goes to Seattle on the trip. But had she kind of grown up there, maybe she would have been more like injected into that scene as opposed to a little bit more on, on the mainstream. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. I, did, I never really thought about it that way. Well, what I was going to say is, whilst everyone always calls Kurt Cobain like, you know, like the leader of Grand Rock, he actually came more from the Riot Girl movement. Like, he was besties with all those people. Kathleen Hanna is actually mm-hmm, the person mm-hmm. who came up with the title for Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Very cool. They're mm-hmm. very high, and she literally just said, Kurt smells <laughs> like teen spirit. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. I might have to, like, put that in something at some point. Um yeah, I mean, it's interesting with music, like how scenes kind of break out and erupt. And then, I mean, for him, he never wanted this. Like, he, you know, and the book's about that, too. Like, um, you know, obviously, it, it, the book, the thrust of the book takes place in 94. So you see sort of, you know, what's going to happen looming. You know, Nico, the character, she doesn't quite see it. But, you know, we know he's 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 going to kill himself, unfortunately. Um, and you know, the, the question, did he really want this stardom with, you know, and when it happened, it was overwhelming. It was too much. He had his own demons kind of connected to it. Um, and the second book is, is kind of more about that. She, she forms a band, um, or she kind of joins a band and makes that band successful. And it's like that double-edged sword, you know, they're becoming successful, but at what price? Um, and so I think she really starts to relate even to Kurt Cobain a lot more in the second book as, as she kind of lives through him a little bit more. Are you a big Cobain lover? You know, I was a Cobain liker in all honesty back then. Um, I, I, Pearl Jam was really my favorite. So there's the side cat, her, her best friend winter is, um, sort of team Pearl Jam. Um, and I was definitely more team Pearl Jam, um, but in writing the book, I found a newfound love of Kurt Cobain and even more, honestly, Courtney Love, who I a little bit, I feel like, dismissed when I was that age um, for whatever reason. Um, maybe it was also the way the media was really portraying her, like kind of like, oh, it's Kurt Cobain's wife, you know, where like Courtney Love is amazing. Um, so I think that writing the book and it's interesting because the character feels that way, too. She's very jealous of Courtney Love, obviously, because she wants to be with Kurt Cobain. So she dismisses her as well. And through the course of the books, finds this real kind of connection and respect. And there's even a scene in the second book with Courtney Love. She she kind of has a run in with her. Um, and and so she, it's almost like a full circle moment where, you know, she she really kind of bows down to her greatness. <laughs> Courtney Love would be pretty interesting to meet. I, I would love to meet her. Um, yeah. I think the big reason why a lot of people dismissed her is a lot of people implied that Kurt Cobain wrote the songs secretly. And mm-hmm. I thought that was Oh, oh whole songs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, like I was watching a lot of media clips from that time. And there was like this nastiness toward her. I mean, there was like the um, conspiracy that maybe she did it to like further her career. So that was something a little bit floating around. Um, But I I watched this Barbara Walters interview with her um, and and that was handled very well. I mean, Barbara Walters, she did a great interview, Um, but Courtney Love really felt 
that she was the reason that Kurt Cobain died, that they had a fight and she was angry with him. And then that happened. And she kind of took that on. Um, and, you know, even Barbara Walters was like, you need to let that go. Like, but how can you tell somebody that, you know, like they've lost everything. And there was this really sad thing. She would sleep with Kurt Cobain's mom um, in the same bed because her, he and his mom had, you know, Kurt Cobain was like very slight. So they had a very similar body. Um, so she would like feel like she was with him just sleeping next to his mom. And so th there was, there was really such a love there, you know, um, that it was, it was really sort of heartbreaking to see. And then that was when whole really kind of then took off. Um, so to imagine what she was going through, just the like range of emotions during that time, yeah. um, was was yeah really sort of wild to 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 research it probably hit her really hard when there are so many documentaries and conspiracy theories that like she murdered him and shit yeah yeah i mean i i can't imagine and then for the daughter too like what, what francis farmer must think and i know it's still been in terms of like the rights of the songs i don't know exactly where it's at but i know that's been like an ever-evolving huge headache for everyone i think for her for dave grohl um for um what's it, chris novoselic the the um the other one in nirvana um the one and, who didn't make it yeah the, yeah the one who didn't make it or maybe chose not to maybe it was kind of like i don't want this you know this this life necessarily and dave Grohl was like i'll take it you know i'll i'll, I'll do well with it um and that like i feel like people almost had a hit out on Courtney Love that, you know, oh, she's going to overdose next. And, like, look who's outlasted everybody, really, in all honesty. Yeah. I got to say, I love all those bands that you have on. What is your Thank favorite you. on your playlist? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I I love Smashing Pumpkins a lot. I love Today. Um, I think that it's a good moment in the book um, when 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 that comes in. She kind of it's the first time I think she allows herself to get over her sister's death. You know, somebody dies, um, and I, I lost my father when I was uh, working on this. Actually, he was he was sick when I was writing it, and then he 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 passed after I finished. But there's almost an element when you, you feel like it's not okay to get over grieving somebody um you have to hold on to that grief and if you're not feeling terrible you're not honoring their memory um and and i think you know nico was really holding on to that and she she goes to san luis obispo and she's on the beach and she hears today and it's the first moment where she's like oh today really it could be the greatest day like i can maybe let go of um you know this pain even though it'll be hills and valleys um yeah. so yeah no i love I love that song, and, and I remember the video, and, and yeah, that's a great song. I almost got a chance to see uh, Smashing Pumpkins in September. Um, Ooh. We have a music festival in Chicago called Riot Fest, mm -hmm. but majority of the big bands like them, they actually said mm -hmm. that they won't show up, that they'll do it in 2022, so I just get, got a refund. Okay. But I mean, I would rather hoping. see it. Yeah, I mean... I don't, September, I wouldn't have been ready. You know, pre-vax, I would have been ready to go to a concert. Now I'm like, give me an outdoor concert. Like, I'm ready. I'm I'm here for it. I saw Smashing Pumpkins, though. I must have been like 15 or 16. And his voice was terrible. I don't know if you had like 
come off of a bender or something. I remember turning to my friend and we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is going on? Um, but the music was great. It was just like he, he was on another planet that day. Yeah. Sorry, Billy Corgan. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Corgan has actually made like some weird political moves that I didn't like. And I met him really? in person once because he's oh, yeah. from this area. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I didn't know about his political things. The last time I was in L.A., though, I was at... Fuck, what's it's one of the famous diners um it's like in 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 kind of west hollywood area um and my friend looks over and she was like i think that's billy corrigan and he was eating with they looked uh, they were of age but they were like just of age it was a little strange it was like billy corrigan and two like 18 year old girls and i was like all right mm. billy corrigan <laughs> yeah that, that's not a good look when I met him, it was at a tea shop that he was opening. It's since closed. It was called Madame Zuzu's. And mm-hmm. he did, like, for the opening of it, like, an acoustic show. Yet again, oh, okay. his voice wasn't great. But then we got to talking to him because he also was an alumni of the same high school mm-hmm. I, that I went to. Mm-hmm. He, he was a bit of a douchebag. Yeah, I could kind of see that. I mean, I, I'm also not... I think he never had the best voice. I think, you know, that was a little bit part of like the charm of smashing pumpkins as well um but yeah i'm not surprised at his douchiness um i'm you know in all honesty with a lot of like especially rock musicians i'm never surprised by the douchiness i think sometimes it kind of goes hand in hand a little bit like it's a persona almost that they have to kind of you know always exist in I mean, I gotta say it, like, I met Eddie Vedder, I've met Joan Jett, I met a lot of cool kick-ass people, and they're the nicest human beings you'll ever meet, so, that, yeah. That's good to, yeah, I, I'm also not surprised to hear that about Eddie Vedder, like, Eddie Vedder just seems a class act from, from start to finish. I'm trying to think if I've met anybody who, I mean, I've met celebrities who weren't great, and I've met celebrities that have been great. My number one is Bruce Springsteen, who I have not ever met um but i don't know what would happen also i i I worry for him almost (laughs) if i if i ever like um so it's almost like my whole life i'm just like trying to be cool just in case i meet him and i keep my shit together (laughs) see with my situation is i never actually go to the people i just kind of hope that they come near me and for some reason start small talk and that's what's happened with all the celebrities i've met i think that's the best it's like it's like wooing them a little bit you know and and i found like no celebrity wants you to go up and be like, I'm your biggest fan. You're so great. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it's weird. You know, like, it almost has to be natural. And I feel like when it doesn't, I love, um, it, it, not a rock singer, but um, one of my favorite actresses is um, Emmy Rossum. She's from the show Shameless. Um, and I'm on, this was just before COVID. Uh, I'm on a train and we're like pressed together, basically. You know, it's like a crowded train. And I was like getting up the nerve of like what I'm gonna say to her. I'm a huge fan of Shameless, blah blah blah. And all of a sudden, the the train doors open and she walks off. And I was like, you know what? It wasn't meant to be. It'll happen when it's organic, not where I'm like pushing it. Amy Rossum. Yeah, um, I gotta so. say, like you're an author, and 
you know, you could eventually become like a big, big author. And it's like, would, yeah. you, would you want people That's, doing that to you? Like, Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> the difference with an author is it's not like facial recognition as much. I mean, yeah. yes, like Stephen King, but like best-selling authors, even you don't know what they look like for the most part. So it's more of a cool thing where somebody's like, hey, are you Lee Matthew Goldberg? Like, did you write... Um, blah 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 and I think like only one time in my life has that honestly happened mm -hmm. and I like completely freaked out um, so yeah A I would love to be a huge a bigger <laughs> author um, and I would completely welcome that and I've had like I've had a few like weird like email stock kind of stuff that's happened um, that's creepy nothing yeah nothing crazy and I kind of was more flattered by it um and I have a book actually coming out about a stalker. Um, so it'd be interesting if it like kicked up a notch. On that Which book. one is that? Um, so it comes out. It hasn't gone up like on Amazon or anything. It comes out in mid-September. It's called Stalker Stalked. And it's okay. about um, this woman who's obsessed with reality TV and this one reality TV show in particular. Um, and so she kind of starts stalking um, one of the contestants on it. And at the same time, she starts to feel like she's being stalked as well. So she doesn't know if it's in her head um, or if really somebody is kind of after her. So she has to use her stalking prowess to kind of overtake this actual stalker while also calming down and not stalking this other person. So it's a very kind of like meta. Um, and the research of that was a blast. I just watched a lot of horrible reality TV um, to get in that mind frame. Um, and my goal with it, which I'm going to start soon, we're, we're finishing up the final like edits. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to reach out to a lot of these kind of weird reality TV personas to try to either blurb it or talk about the book. Um, so that's kind of my goal with that one. We'll see how far that goes. I feel like they're a lot easier to access than like an actual celebrity, though. You know, like a real housewife or something. Yeah, it's oh, more doable. Yeah, it's like they'll do anything kind of. So um, I have I, one friend who is almost on the real world. And I'm just like, he was so close. Like, really he probably could have found him. Like, no one would have cared. He would probably yeah, loved it. Yeah, yeah. That was my dream as a kid. Like, I completely wanted to be on the real world. I, I I don't know if I ever... I applied once to Survivor, because I loved that show, and I still love that show. Um, and I made it to the second round. Um, or I, I got, like... It wasn't, like, a callback. It was, like, I got a call. Um, and then I was ghosted completely. Like, it never it never went further than that. Um, That's how they do it in Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've learned that really just like I'm, I'm moving in like a screenwriting direction. I've kind of learned that for the most part. It's like everybody loves you and they're so interested in what you're doing and then you never hear from them. And then a year later, you have a new project and they love you for that new project. And it's just this like never ending cycle that keeps happening. Um, but I feel like I, what I've learned is I feel like if, if I go out there and I kind of have this like, eh, I don't care attitude um it, it works better it's like they it, it's kind of like what you're saying with the like let the celebrity come to you it's like let the producer let the etc kind of come to you about the project yeah i think it's all about kind of making connections but as mm -hmm. friends with certain people and then suddenly they'll give you the tip off yeah that certainly helps i mean even in publishing in all honesty like if somebody's like hey my good friends this editor like they're looking for this um doesn't hurt. Um, I mean, it's really like in any industry, you know, it, it just, 
nepotism unfortunately works it really does i mean i hate to say it as an editor but i i look immediately to see if like someone i knew published the person that like mm-hmm. submitted to me mm-hmm. it's yeah like, yeah i can't help well, it it's, a ve- it's I'm vetting like, i'm gonna go through that one first like i can't yeah help it. it it's somewhat more vetted and you know if you get like so many submissions on a daily basis it's like something has to kind of make one stand out over the other one just to get noticed. I, I don't think there's anything sort of wrong with that. Um, you know, and there's an element of like, you know, somebody has already made that connection. You know, they're not, you know, crazy or like, you know, or a stalker potentially. Well, I have met quite a few crazy people in the writer scene though. There's Yeah. Writers are great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think there's an element of somebody who's so hungry to be published and it hasn't happened yet that it could go in a bad direction. Because I think about how I was like before things actually started happening and like I just wanted it so bad that it like consumes you a little bit. Um, And one of my books is my book, The Mentor, was kind of about that. It was about this guy has written a book and he so wants it to be published that it, it makes him insane. You know, it, it, it turns him to the dark side. Um, because you know, you're dealing with the average person doesn't deal with rejection on that consistent of a basis every day. Yeah. Um, and as a writer, you, you kind of do. I, I still do. Yeah. I mean, I'm like a, a robot now, you know, I'm able to just kind of brush it off really easily and I have no emotions about it, yeah. but it took a long time to get there. Like, and I, I always tell upcoming writers, you know, if, if you don't have the stomach for it, 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 it may not be the profession for you because, you know, it, it, it's very easy to let it kind of take you to that dark place because you put yourself on the page, you know, it's, so much of you it's it's, it's sometimes so personal even if it's not about you i mean i have to say it's something that makes me it's almost an anxiety thing as an editor because i know that that's how like new writers will handle it because like i know i know it hurts a lot to be Mm -hmm. rejected Mm -hmm. and i hate being the person who does it yeah you know you always have to think as a you just need one person to be interested like that's how it starts like my first book was rejected by everybody. And then my agent sent it to um, New Pole Press. They were like a, a small crime press. And for every reason that everybody else rejected it, that was the reason that they loved it. Um, they liked that it wasn't mainstream. They liked that the main character was absolutely deplorable and just a horrible person <laughs> from start to finish. Um, so you just have to find that person that it you know it, it works for basically and then you know it like an onion it's like things start to kind of you know not not quite like an onion i don't know what the metaphor that i'm looking for is but slowly things start it's to kind of develop not a good writer thing you, yeah, you should, you should work yeah. them out faster yeah yeah maybe more like a domino effect like one thing leads to the next and then you know maybe that's a little bit better yeah See, i think a good job for an editor is to read it and then be like it's not for us but then suggest a few places that you know would be into it i so appreciate when when and if that's happened before you know like i even appreciate you know like we have a book that's going to be going out um in the next maybe like week to months um and I'm such a fan when it's just not a form letter where an editor I could really tell has read it or at least read enough to know that it's right for them. Um, and then that's, that's happened too, where sometimes it's even like, 
you know, especially the big publisher, oh, it's not right for this imprint, but, you know, maybe this imprint, let me talk to my colleague, you know, that's huge. I mean, I, 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 I love when that happens. Yeah, I really think that's the best way. I know that like it's easier to do form rejections, and I do that a lot too, just because mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you get pressed for time. Yeah, yeah. And people start querying you so quickly, even though like mm-hmm. you state like, "Oh, this is the amount of time it takes us to read stuff." Like we usually say like four to six weeks, but I'll yeah, get it days that's later. That's pretty good. That's like fast yeah. too. You know, sometimes it's like four months, honestly. I would say a lot of presses are like that. And it's just yeah, like, yeah. I'll make the time because um, I work remotely. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just easier and I can get through it way faster than other people. Like I'm a fast reader, but. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting a press. We were supposed to start last year and then COVID. So I'm aiming for next year. Um, Ooh, what kind? It's called Fringe and it's going to be for kind of books on the fringe um so anything that a mainstream press should be publishing but their marketing team is too afraid of those are the books that i want see it's hard Um, to nail that genre down yeah well i want it broad enough the the flip side of the press too is i i i want to i want everything we acquired to kind of go through almost a hollywood machine as well so like potential for a tv series or a film um so i have been working with 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 some people it's sort of in that world connecting it to that way mm-hmm. um so i i want things that are almost deceivingly mainstream um but i had a book that that came out last year the ancestor mm-hmm. and we had a really tough time placing it my agent because it hit like four different genres. It was literary, it was historical, it was a thriller, but it also had some sci-fi supernatural elements. And uh, some of the top editors in the business were like, I love it. And then they would give it to the marketing team to look at. And the marketing team would be like, like, what's this? You know, like, you want us to go for four different genres? Like, no, that's insane. And it made me be like, no, fuck you. Like, excuse me, I didn't mean to like. No, that's cool. But like, it it was like, you should celebrate it because it's unique and different. And you can't 100% put it in a box. And there's an element in the publishing world, especially in, in with big presses. I think they don't trust their readers enough that their readers are smart enough. I think they see them as these, you know, like, oh, it's some you know, lady in Ohio and she's 50 years old and this is the only type of book she likes, but that's the only type of book you're giving her. So if you allow her to try something new, I feel like she'd embrace it. Um, and, and, and you see, I think people sort of on the outside that are trying that, you know, you see somebody like Reese Witherspoon, who is like the new Oprah in terms of like a book club, um, but Pig's kind of, you know, not just like a mainstream book. Like I just read a book from from her thing, Northern Spy, which was about like the IRA in present time. And it, it wouldn't have been a book that was like, this is mainstream. Um, so I think you have these people kind of trying to take big publishing in the direction it needs to. Um, but also, you know, sort of the old stalwarts that are keeping big publishing kind of stuck in its, you know, in quicksand a little bit. So I want to try to do something different. I don't know. We'll see if it works. I like it. Thank you. Very Steve Jobs. Think different. Yeah. I mean, I think, in, you know, in 
especially these days, any innovation is, is I think, good. Give people something they don't already have. Um, so that that's kind of going to be the, the mindset with, with Fringe. And I really want it small. I want to do like two to three books a year max. Um, you know, I, I don't want it to cut too much into my writing. And, and you know, that's that's sort of my first love and, and, and my first goal. Um, but I, I, I want to give like other voices like an, an opportunity as well. My question is um, with the last book you spoke about, Ancestors, mm-hmm. how do you decide what the genre is for something like that? Yeah, so we landed it at a, a thriller crime press, so it was really kind of billed that way. And the thrust of the book really is, you know, thrillers. So like, it, it you know, it works it. But I, my favorite person in all of you know art and anything has always been David Lynch. Um, Hell yeah! Shout I, out to I, David. Yeah, I mean, like I said about Bruce Springsteen, it, it, my love for David Lynch knows no bounds. And I remember being a, a kid who was probably too young to watch it, um, but watching Twin Peaks um, when I was like maybe 10 or 11. And my like world just like expanded. It, he He took like sort of like what would have been like a 50s procedural, you know, girl gets murdered detective comes in and it was such this oddball cast and any episode anything could happen mm-hmm. and it made me so excited like i would i i couldn't wait for the next episode so i look at all of my work in, in sort of sort of in, in that david lynch model not, not all of my stuff is as weird as him necessarily um you know in, in a good way for him but i look at it that nothing should be able to 100 percent be put in a box you could put it in like a fake box so like you know a marketing team could be could get on top of it but really when you're reading it 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 hits like all the different kind of facets um and and i like that like i have a uh, i have this has been a very prolific year i have four books coming out this year which is not the average um so i just had a sci-fi book which was my first sci-fi book orange city that came out um, and it's another one that can't be quite boxed. It's dystopian. It's sci-fi. It's weird. Um, it's definitely not mainstream. It has thriller elements. And I kind of like that. I, I, I like when books surprise me. Um, I read so much and so many books don't surprise me, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm really pumped when a book kind of takes me on a journey that I don't expect. So when you submit these, do you submit them under just like one genre or like hope that the marketing team will guess it and create it for you um i mean it depends you know i've i've had i've had one book with a big my book the mentor was with say martin's um and all my other ones have been with indie presses you know even runaway train um wise wolf and with indie presses there's a little more room to kind of like you know um not fall in a box so oftentimes it's submitted to the right indie press um, that being said, I, 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 I'm trying with, with, with this new book that we have going out, A, I just want to make a little more money and be able to support myself a little more. Um, so we really want to try to get, go mainstream with, with this next. So I have a book, it, it's about, uh, a, a Jewish family of bank robbers in the 1980s. And it's very like Jewish, um, Royal Tenenbaums meets the Coen brothers kind of. And I think it's very, very mainstream. 
Um, I agree. That sounds like a good idea. (laughs) And it's like thrilling and it's sad, but it's, it's, it's funny as well. And it's very eighties. So like it opens with them in an RV fleeing the FBI and like Debbie Gibson's playing. Um, so it, 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 it always has that like comic sensibility. Um, and I think it's just about finding the right sort of editor for it. Um, and then we're going to try to pitch it. I have a more serious, um, I'm Jewish and I've never really written about Jewish characters and Jewish experience. Um, and I was kind of like, why have I, why have I not like that? That's ridiculous. It's like, I grew up, went to a conservative temple. Uh, my mom kept kosher, you know, like it was a part of my life. Um, and for whatever reason, I've strayed from it. So I have a book that's kind of like, it's a little bit mad. I'm trying to think of the right pitch for it. Um, it's a little bit mad men meets the plot against America or mad men with like, unfortunately like Nazis kind of thrown in. Um, and it's a very, very serious book taking place in the fifties, about a, a Jewish man who starts working for, um, an advertising agency in the booming Madison Avenue, 1950s. He's the only Jew at the company. Like Michael um, Ginsburg and Mad Men. Yes, exactly. But he starts noticing subliminal Nazi messaging in the ads. And at first he's like, is it my mind playing tricks with me because I'm the only Jew here? And every once in a while there'll be like, you know, like a slang or, you know, an, an off-color word kind of thrown in his direction. And then he realizes, like, no, these people are, like, up to something. And I'm the only person that could take down these Nazi admin, basically. Um, so I haven't written it yet, but uh, I'm really excited about it. And it, it it would be my most, I think, serious book. Um, I'm really excited about it, too. Yeah, I just pitched it to my agent about a week or so ago. And I was like, I don't know what you're going to think about this. And he was like, no, I love it. I love it. I was like, okay, good, 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 good. Um, so I think we're going to try to kind of pitch them together like um, like a, a you know, like a Jewish diaspora almost, um, diaspora. Um, you know, one a little bit more funny and then one a little bit more serious and then kind of, you know, see what we could do with that. Um, but I'm excited about them. I feel like they have the most kind of mainstream potential right now. My question is, and uh, this is obviously from a non-Jewish person, but I have a lot of Jewish friends. Mm-hmm. Are you going to play into a lot of Jewish tropes or just kind of tell it from a more personal perspective? Um, well, so the first one's already written and the the, the, the bank robbing one. Um, that one, I, well, there's a, there's, a, there's a good chunk of it where they are fleeing from the FBI and they go stay with the family's Orthodox grandmother. So a good chunk of it takes place in, um, you know, Orthodox community in, in Florida. Um, and I, I have family who's who's Orthodox. Um, so I want it to be as respectful as possible. But at the same time, in, in terms of my own beliefs about religion, um, whenever it becomes sort of the only center of somebody's life, there's almost a ridiculousness about it as well. Um, so I wanted to have like a fine line between, you know, being respectful, um, but also showcasing, um, you know, a a little bit how different somebody's life who lives in that is and how removed they are from the rest of the world because of that sort of choice. Um, so that, that was sort of a tricky balance. The other one 
Um, I was really inspired by the show Plot Against America on HBO, which I recently watched over quarantine, and it like floored me. Um, and and just the rise of of you were hearing about anti-Semitism in sort of pockets of of America, you know, especially in the thrust of the Trump era. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it made me really want to write about it. I don't I don't see enough of it in fiction. Um, oftentimes, you know, it's like it's like a funny Jewish family, and like that's the that's the experience. Or it's like World War Two. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, it would be very interesting to see it from a new perspective rather than mm-hmm. the quirky Jews or the Holocaust yet again. Exactly. Yeah. So even in the first one, you know, like the the first one is a very different. St- you know, they're they become like the biggest bank robbers of the 1980s, the whole family, little kid included. So like, yeah, they're quirky and it's a little bit like Family Fang. I don't know if you if you read that book. Mm-hmm. Um uh, really, really cool book that was made into like an average movie with um, Nicole Kidman. Uh, but great, great book. Um, so like the family has like a quirkiness, but they lose all their money in the 1987 stock market crash. And they're almost at like an impasse. And they just find that they're really good at robbing at first convenience stores. And then like these like huge banks and they kind of just go with it like they're closer together than they've ever been and they're like living their best lives you know until things start to catch up with them so i think it's like a different perspective and then you know with the with the other book um you know i haven't started yet so i I don't quite know the tone but i don't want to just write like another like world war ii holocaust related jewish book because i i feel like it's like I've seen that. I don't need to see that anymore. You know, it, it pigeonholes. And the 50s were a really interesting time because we're coming off of that. Mm-hmm. And there was um, movement in the Jewish community. You know, it's like, for example, my character who is the first at his company to get a job, you know, in, in the adverti- in that advertising company. Um, so there's, there's movement in the community while they're also still kind of, you know, like held back as well. Um, so I think it'll be an interesting time to really kind of research and explore. And I'm very fast with writing books. This book is going to take me a long time. Like I see it taking, um, a considerable amount of, 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 you know, I was going to say, you really seem to churn books out. Like what's your process? I'm really fast. I outline everything now so that every day I know what I'm writing kind of. Um, and like I write every single day. Yeah, I'm in a moment right now where I'm not. I wrote through really the whole pandemic, and I think I just burnt myself out. And now that things are opening up, I'm like, I kind of want to like live, you know, live a little bit. Um, and I so I just finished the sequel to Runaway Train, and I handed that in last week. So I'm a little bit like, leave me alone in terms of writing for a second. Um, but usually I'm good. Like I, I finish something and I start something new. I, I edit every morning. And I write most afternoons in Central Park. Like, I'll just take my laptop there. And on a nice day, I'll write for about four hours a day and usually get, like, five or so pages done. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty quick. Um, but the 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 Mad Men plot against America one, just because the research is going to be so much, there's an element of, like, you know, Tiger Heights mobsters um, connected to it. There's, there's so much research that I'm going to need to do that um, – that one's going to take a while. Yeah. And I've never fully written a book in another era that I didn't live in. I've written like a part of a book, 
um, but not the whole book. So I think that that'll be a challenge. Yeah. Now that's what I was going to say. It is hard to write from like an entirely different perspective. Just like I was wondering with Runaway Train with like mm-hmm. you writing from a girl's perspective, if that was hard. It was hard. Um, I first started it as a challenge. I was like, I want to see if I could do it. And I almost think of writing sometimes similar to acting. It's like you'll see an actor take on a, a role of <clears throat> somebody completely outside of you know his or her realm. Um, so I, I see writing in a very similar way. And the character just really spoke to me. Her humor is really similar to mine. We're both very, very sarcastic and flippant and... You know, so that was really easy in terms of her voice. And I talked to a lot of friends, all girls, um, because I was like, tell me about your experience in that time. I was with you, but we had a different experience, me being a guy and you being a girl completely (laughs) in the 90s. So I I really only had like female readers um and 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 female voices kind of giving me that perspective and a lot was like you know from a surface level i was like what perfume would she like like the only one i remember was sunflowers every girl wore sunflowers perfume it was like there had to be another one you know like and i had posted when i first was writing it on facebook i was like i had this idea um tell me about like the the 90s what you remember from it and there was literally like 300 comments. It was something about it just spoke to people that day. So I used everything from that almost what I thought was going to be a joke Facebook post. Um, you know, one of my friends had a very detailed thing about the makeup she would have used. I would not know, have any clue about that. And so I used that. I used it all. Um, and And so far, the reviews I've read... I I think I pulled it off. I, I think people have really believed this character and 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 I hope she was respectful enough. You know, I, I really, really tried in every way, shape, or form. And I'm sure there's a moment that's not perfect where you'd be like, ah, that's a guy who wrote that. Um but I I think I also have an ability, like I'll leave my body when I write and I just go into this other body and I went in, into Nico's body, <laughs> as weird as that sounds. For, no, that's you know, exactly yeah. what it's like to write. I vibe you. And it was a pleasure to be there. Like, you know, it, it, she was a lot of, of fun to write. And I also, you know, I, I was talking like I lost my dad around that time. So we were dealing with similar experiences. We were both, you know, angry and frustrated and sad and, you know, it it almost made it easier to go through that with a character so different from me. So I was a little bit removed from it rather than me as a 16-year-old. Like if I was writing about a 16-year-old guy, I think it would have been a little more uncomfortable almost because I would have had to deal with the emotions a little more. Would you say that that experience really like inspired the book or were you already writing the book when it happened? So... I was writing two books around that time, Runaway Train and The Ancestor. The Ancestor was really a lot more about my father. So I was like plugged in a lot more connected to that one. Um, This one was sort of right before that. um, And I wrote the book really fast. Like, I think I wrote it in like, I want to say like two months. Um, 
so I almost don't really remember. It was just like, it was like a burst. It was like, I just got it out of me and then it was there. And, um, you know, it, it was fun to go back, like I said, to the nineties, you know, like I have really great memories of that time. I'm the same age as, as Nico was. Um, and, and just to, you know, explore that, like there's, um, a, a scene where she just talks about 90210 for a page. So like to go back and watch all these 90210 episodes and I just remember that and my so-called life and, you know, just this, all these moments that I have such close nostalgia to was, was more fun than I've had writing other books. Definitely. Definitely. Since you mentioned Twin Peaks, you know, she's mm. driving up to the Pacific Northwest. Have you been in that area? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been, I would say, about three or four times to the Pacific Northwest. Um, all sort of book-related tour stuff um, has taken me there, although I had a wedding in, in Portland a few years ago. I absolutely love that area. I love Portland. Like, in another life, I could have lived there, just not this one. Um, <laughs> but... In another life, I could, I could have seen myself there. There's like a, I don't know, like a calmness to the Pacific Northwest. You could like breathe. Maybe because the air is so much better. It is. And like the just smell of the trees and everything and the yeah. coffee. Like just, I could die with that much coffee. I love it. So I'm not a coffee drinker. I haven't had a cup of coffee maybe, I, maybe since I was about 17. But I love the smell of it. So I could appreciate I could appreciate the smell. And like the food is really good. The vegetables are so fresh out there. People are just, I don't know, it, Portland and Seattle are very different. I find the people oh yeah, similar in some ways. Portland, there's like a warmness. And Seattle, there's like an iciness. Um but there's also like a love of outdoors and social causes. And, you know, so it, it's interesting to see how similar and different sort of they are. If I had to choose between the two, I, I, I prefer Portland by a mile. Definitely. I've been wanting to move to Portland for a while, but then all that racism happened under the Trump administration. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah, had my I, friend moved from New York to Portland and they moved back like a month later because they're like, yo, I was just called my first racial slur. So I'm going oh, back to wow. New York. Oh, my God. I In like, Portland? Yeah. Because if wow. you remember, like there is all those like Trump rallies and those proud yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like so much has happened. It's, it, it, it's like you forget some things, which is terrible because so many terrible things have happened. Um but what I appreciate also about Portland is I feel like people stand up for what's right as well. So even though there's those terrible rallies, down the block there's another amazing rally. Oh, you know, yeah. it's like the and that rally will be there every day. Like people really put their money where their mouth is, I feel like in Portland. I feel like I'm aged out of Portland. I think if I was in my twenties, I would be more apt to be like, let me live there. And at forty, I feel like I'm a little too old for it mm -hmm. in some way. Have you uh, watched Portlandia at all? Yeah, I love Portlandia. It's great. I mean, isn't like the theme song like almost talking about like it's for the kids of the 90s? Yeah, yeah, basically. And I mean, I look at Portlandia and it also reminds me a lot of parts of Brooklyn. So I feel like I'll relate to it that way. Like it's very like Bushwicky making fun of kind of. Um, you know, everything's very like twee and, you know, pickled and <laughs> like, thing, you know, precious. Um I but, love the pickle one where they're like, you could pickle that to like almost yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, he speak of, of somebody, you know, riot girl from the 90s 
who completely flipped their career and had a whole new huge second career in terms of um, Carrie uh, Brownstein um, and is amazing on that show and fantastic. I miss that show. That was that was a great show. You know, what's wild is I actually thought she was definitely a better actor than Fred Armisen in that yes. show. Yeah, yeah. Because Fred Armisen sometimes plays kind of the same thing. And I think she actually wound up having more range than him. But they play so well off of each other, too. And then, like, Kyle McLaughlin and, you know, all the people who had, like, you know, multiple parts in it as well. Um, yeah, so it's a really, really cool, cool show. Funnier than Saturday Night Live, honestly. That's what I always thought. And I kept trying Completely. to, like, pitch it to friends. And everyone's like, yeah, this is too hipstery. But I was like, no, you just got to get into it. Watch it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Or like smoke a joint when you're watching it. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, when I first watched it, I was getting ready to move to the city because I was mm-hmm. originally from the suburbs. And I think it was like season two. And I just like the I'm a little guy skit. That one was fun. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's almost something I feel like I'm almost ready to rewatch. Like it's been long enough. Although I just feel like I've watched so much TV in this last year that I almost, it's like, I think I need a break from television, even though I love it. I think it's like binge burnout. I've been having it too. I saw some friends recently and it was like, oh, what have you been watching? And I was like, I can't even remember, but I know I have, but I literally can't. And none of us could. We were like, we've all just spent the last how many months watching TV I am watching something now that I'm, I'm liking. It's it's on Netflix. It's show The Serpent, and it's it's really good. I like it a lot. Um, it's it's like thriller and true crimey enough that it like hits my sweet spot, you know, in terms of like what I like in terms of a show. And it's from a true story. It was from um, a, a killer in the in the 1970s. It's done really well. Um, so I would recommend that. Other than that, I can't remember anything. I watched Minari last night. That was fantastic. Um, I feel like I have to watch that movie because... Uh, it's so good. Yeah, it won so many awards. Yeah, I mean, I unfortunately watched the whole Oscars last night, and that Ooh, was a mistake. You yeah, agree it was shit, too. It was awful. It was... You know, I appreciate what they were doing. And look, we're in a pandemic, like the fact that we even got one, we should be happy for. But they took away all the clips from the movies. I was like, that's what what I watch. Point of that. And usually like the montages sometimes like they make you feel good. Yeah, like it, it, it didn't celebrate movies enough. Like, I don't need to know that like Glenn Close was a, you know, a ticket taker, a movie ticket taker. And that fostered a love of movies. I don't even remember if that was a fact, but it was just like. Everything was like, here's this fact about this actor. Here's this fact about this person and this person, this person, this person. And I was like, just show a clip of their movie. Like, you know, like that's the whole point of it. And I was really upset. Those backstories. I mean, Steven Soderbergh was the director. I know. I know that I'm surprised at because it it didn't feel like a tribute to a love of movies enough. Um, and I'm still, uh, I, I thought Nomadland was great and I think it deserved everything it won, but I loved Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman and the fact that she didn't win for that, I woke up pissed. I woke up and I was like, I'm still upset about this. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted that or Chicago 7. Those were all great movies and yeah, 
I was just pissed off when I woke up this morning and saw what it was. I stopped an hour in. Like, my boyfriend and I were like, yeah, we're done. We actually preferred the Golden Globes, and that was a shit show. That was a shit show, too. I recorded it, so it was a lot of fast-forwarding through stuff. Um, You know, it was like I watched it an hour and a half delayed almost until I caught up. So it was a better way to do it because there was a lot I was just, like, zipping through. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Yeah, it was it there's so many ways it could have been done better. And I think they were really banking on Chadwick winning at the end and giving like this tribute. And then when he didn't and Anthony Hopkins won, it was just kinda like I was gonna say, like he's had his time. Like the same with Chadwick Francis McDormand. I know. Yeah, and you know, like his wife had this huge speech prepared. It was going to be this like moment, and he really deserved it. Like he did. I didn't. I didn't see, and that was the one. That's the one movie I haven't seen. I haven't seen The Father. It, that's just a rough movie to like sit down and be like, I'm going to watch Dementia for two hours. Um, but I will. I will. And I'm sure she. He's amazing in it. Um, but it was the same with Frances McDormand. It's like I've seen her win a billion times. She didn't even want it. Yeah. She gave kind of like a fuck you speech where like Carrie Mulligan, like that was the performance of her career. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, at least it won for um, screenplay. That was that that I was happy for because that I thought was the best movie of the year, except for um, Palm Springs. I actually thought that was the best movie of the year with Andy Samberg. I, I, I just love that movie. There are just so many excellent films that I just don't think got their due. They just kind of like started throwing stuff at like movies I haven't even seen. I was like, wow, I'm a movie buff and I missed those. Yeah, but Minari was really good. That I, I watched it right before the Oscars, so it was like fresh in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And the grandma who, who won, was she was she was great. Um, and I don't know. It's like focus on next year, <laughs> like better movies next year. Hoping better movies and they go back to normal with the format. Yeah, I I think I'm actually now that I'm fully vaxxed, I think I might go see a movie in the movie theater. Yeah, I can't get uh, the vax yet because I'm on medicine that uh, oh. is prohibiting me. But once I do, my boyfriend and I are gonna go get him right away. Yeah, yeah. Because here it's like you could look and see if there's even anybody else in the theater, like before you buy the ticket. And if you see it in an off time, like potentially there'd be nobody else. And then it could, couldn't be safer, you know? See, um, for me, my favorite are like midnight movies, at indie theaters. So you, you have a good shot of not really having anyone else there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, Things in New York all of a sudden feel like, like uh, this weekend I felt like was the first weekend where like everything felt like it was reopening and there was a million people outside. Um, but up until then, I, I, I would think that there'd be like two people in each theater, honestly. See, I wouldn't mind that. But then like when you have like one person with you, they start treating it like you're watching the movie from home and start talking to you. And I'm just like, no, respect the theater experience. Yeah depends on the movie if it's like a fun movie i can get with that but like i yeah i i i I hate like an armchair quarterback you know at at the movies um you know especially if it's a great movie and i'm into it if it's a stupid movie and we're making fun of it sure (laughs) legit the last movie i saw in a theater was uh blade runner it was a midnight movie that's a great one for it to be the last one at least 
I had people talking in my ear the entire time. Ugh, no, no. That, that That's one of my top ten. Like, I, I just, I love, love, love Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to hear anybody speak during it. I've never seen it in the theater, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, you have to, like, respect it. Chicago yeah. is a big thing where we like doing old movies and actually doing it in 35 millimeter and everything. Nice, nice. So. Yeah, we have a couple, but... In the theater, yeah. Um, ugh, I don't even remember. I don't even think it, so. This would have been like, oh, uh, I remember. It was um, Birds of Prey, the Margot Robbie movie. Not terrible. Mm-hmm. Not so bad. That was. It was pretty good. I'm not that mad at that being the last one, um, but not like the greatest movie ever. That like I would remember it otherwise. But I've also seen, like, a billion movies since, I feel like. There was a moment where things were at its worst, where I watched a movie every day. Like, it it just, it made me feel, like, comforted somehow. It's like Uh, a safety blanket. Yeah, and it just broke the day up a little bit, like, for those early months where, like, there was a month I didn't leave my apartment, really, when things were, like, so crazy here last March, April. Um, Like, I would just walk up to my roof and that was it. so like a movie was like between like night and day. It was like okay, we, we made it to nighttime, <laughs> you know, like we're okay. And then I started walking, and I was like, I kind of could have been going outside this whole time. Like that was a little bit, you know, anxious and fearful. But yeah, you know, New York do? got hit hard though. I can imagine the fear there. We, we didn't know if it was in. I know it's in the air, but we didn't know if it was like in the air. So the thought of like I have to go downstairs i have an elevator there's people i have a doorman it was just like all these people i have to pass to even get outside made it really scary to even go outside and i live in midtown it's a billion people yeah um but what was amazing was when i first started taking walks so this had been like early april i sometimes was the only person on the street around like grand central you know like the busiest neighborhoods and I would take all these pictures and I'd be the only person. And there was something really kind of like cool about it. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll, I'm not going to miss COVID, but those moments of like quiet in the city, you never get. So like, those are like more like my fond memories of COVID, I guess. I actually got COVID. So my fond oh, memory I'm was sorry. like, oh, my, it was the best when I no longer had it. I was like, all right, we're safe. I can do shit now. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in some ways I had a, a, a wedding in Vegas the week before everything shut down. And I'm convinced that a bunch of us got it and luckily had mild cases that we didn't even know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was how none of us ever got it the whole time because I can't imagine. I mean, Vegas was like a billion people yeah. bumping up against me. And, and a lot of the buildings people. don't have windows. There's no windows. People are drunk. They're like puking. You know, like yeah. it would be the worst place for COVID. So like how I didn't come back with, with COVID from that. Even on the airplane, like I didn't wear a mask coming. You know, it was. It wasn't it the was, thing yet. No, like two weeks later, it would it, it would have been. And it was all like, how did we do that? Like. <laughs> that was insane and that was the last trip i took really like that it's funny when i had covid it was right before it became like a thing like when we mm-hmm. got done with covid that's when the lockdowns happen 
happened. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So we honestly, like, we were sick and we were going to, like, places like Walmart to get, like, Gatorade and stuff to rehydrate ourselves because we didn't know yet that we had you just it. didn't know, yeah. So I, I know I definitely infected <laughs> some people. Yeah, but at the same time, it's, like, everybody, nobody knew then, you know. Yeah. That, that was sort of, like, no man's land. You know, it was, like, all bets were off. It's, like... Yeah. Now, if you're sick and you go out, it's like you're the worst person. <laughs> you know, like we know better now. Exactly. Basically. It's funny, like um, testing was much slower then too. Like when oh, sure. I finally yeah. convinced my doctor, like, okay, we tested for the flu, we tested for strep, we clearly have COVID. Mm-hmm. Like he sent us in like a couple days later and was like, all right, we'll test you. We didn't get our results for 13 days. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. by the time we I got heard, the results, we were like, we're not sick anymore. Yeah. I mean, I heard that too. And I knew people who definitely had it. And those early results came back inconclusive. And they were like, no, I have COVID. Like, it, there's no way what I'm going through is not that. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, like the fact that this has been taken care of at least in certain places in a year's time is pretty amazing. I know globally we're like the worst that it's ever been. And India is very scary right now. Um, but I'm shocked I look that at, they, didn't, they didn't get hit sooner. Yeah. But that's, what's interesting about COVID. It's like everybody gets hit. It's just at a different time. And it's like, when's your time going to be, you know, it's like New York, we were first. You know, California had a terrible, you know, Christmas. And it's like Brazil, South America. It's like now is India's time, you know. Um, what I found out hilarious is actually Chicago shut down before New York and we didn't have that many cases yet. <laughs> yeah, you were smarter. Ours was, there was a lot of back and forth. It was, you know, Cuomo and de Blasio. If schools and stuff and all that had shut down two weeks before, we would have, you know, we would have been in a much better situation. They just waited too long. I remember going out a few days before everything shut down and there was so many people and people were hugging and out and drinking. And I went back home and that's when I didn't leave again for almost a month. I was like, Nope. And we were about to hit um, St. Patty's day. And just like knowing what a shit show the city is during that, I was like, absolutely. I do not want to be outside with like a million drunk people in their 20s barfing COVID on my street. No. I guarantee you it would have been like shitty to be there. I know we usually have a huge St. Patrick's Day here in Chicago. We have the South mm-hmm. Side and the yeah. one by mm-hmm. Wrigleyville. Mm-hmm. And it's packed in the streets of just everybody drinking green beer. And yeah, it's just, it's just nasty. Here they, most of the bars did not have St. Patty's Day or they moved it at least to outside, if I remember correctly. Um, so I don't know how much that in particular made it worse. It was like we were already headed in that direction. There was nothing we could do at that point. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I looked at my neighborhood now, I think right now it's under 0.5% positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, at one point, the worst of it, we were 70%. I mean, it was insane. Like, it was like everybody. Um, so, you know, hopefully. What's hopefully, your fondest COVID memory? So my best COVID experience, I read, I, I was supposed to redo my apartment the week we shut down. So it was delayed. 
So then September, my building allowed it again. Um, but I live in a tiny Manhattan apartment, so I couldn't be here. So I got a place at the beach for a month of, in September. Um, and it was amazing. Like, it, it, I would just go down to the beach every day. I would write a little bit. Um, I had some friends in the area. Um, I, I loved it. It was, it was by far my best COVID memory. Other than that, I've got a lot of work done, and that's about it. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Like, I wasn't baking banana bread. I, I had, yeah, I, I didn't have those, like, COVID experiences. We had a lot of food delivered to us, and we pretended that mm-hmm. our, like, apartment was a movie theater. Like, we got our TV and better sound and shit. Nice, and, like, nice. backlights. It sort yeah. of works. I ordered a lot of food. In my head, I was like, I'm supporting the industry. But <laughs> in reality, I really was just too lazy to cook through all of COVID. I You're was supporting like, nope. your mental health instead. <laughs> yeah. And like, I did feel good supporting because there were certain restaurants that stayed open the entire time. So at the worst of it, when there literally was a choice of like 10 places and in Midtown, I know for the average person, they're like, you have 10 choices. But for Midtown, you know, that's weird. It's like usually there's like a billion choices. Um, so I was like, I would go down the list of those 10 places and each day would be like a different one. I was like, I'm supporting the Middle Eastern place that I love. You're getting Monday and then the Japanese restaurant, you're Tuesday. Um, so it made me feel good. I don't know. And I, w- I wasn't spending money on anything else. So it was kind of like, eh, might as well treat myself. That's what I was going to say. Like, you might as well go for it. Like, you're not going out. You're not doing anything, you know. I would order like sometimes like four meals from a place and then it would last for like be like lunch and dinner, lunch and dinner. Um, and then when I started going, you know, taking walks again, a few more places started opening. So it'd be like, oh, let me walk to that place I love 20 blocks up and I'll get takeout from them. And that's like my day. <laughs> that sounds like a fun COVID experience. Pretty similar here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chicago... I, I love Chicago and I find that Chicago is one of the few other like real cities like New York. Like it really feels like a city to me. Um, you know, you have a little more like suburban kind of connection in Chicago, but also the density of the population, like I think also makes it tough during COVID as well. I think with the uh, suburban vibe, a lot of people don't quite get that Chicago is more of a city of neighborhoods than yeah, like yeah. giant like the loop and everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's very easy for it to spread out into the suburbs so we just call it the chicagoland area yeah because like depending where you live like how often are you going like downtown even i gotta tell you most chicago natives don't go downtown downtown that much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah because they live like 40 minutes outside of it with traffic maybe right like driving in the city is a bitch but yeah I mean, there's still good highways, and I also love driving down Lakeshore Drive because mm-hmm, it has some mm-hmm. really curves to it, mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. But no, I tend to like stay in the neighborhoods. We have really cool city like neighborhoods with like they do have some tall buildings, but yeah. What's it, it? It has like it's a big city, but still in the Midwest. We are like the bridge to the west for yeah. the east. Which I, I like, like you, I remember the first time I went and I went to a potbelly before it like came to New York and I was like, oh, I've heard such great things about potbelly. I want to try it. And like the person behind the counter had like a full conversation with me 
how are you doing? How's your day? How's it? And I was like, what is happening? I was like, oh, right. I'm in the Midwest. We're in New New York. They're like, fuck you. Here's a sandwich. I hear it's worse in the South. Like if you say, hey, what's up? Yeah. And like, they'll totally be like answering the question. Whereas for us, it's like, oh, that was just a high. Like, I didn't want to know what your day was like. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, because I feel like there's an element people in the South could disagree with me, but there's a little bit more of an element of fakeness I find where it's like, you f- Oh yeah. You feel like you have to in certain parts. I don't feel that in, like new Orleans is one of my favorite cities. I don't find that in new Orleans. I find it very genuine. In other parts of the South, it's like, you know, that like bless your heart, you know, kind of like mentality. And I would say with New York, it's like, actually people are really, really nice here. They just don't have the time. So it's very just honest, you know? And in all honesty, like, do you really give a shit about how this person they we don't even know is? No. So like, move on. <laughs> like, you really don't care. See, as an introvert, I feel like I belong in New York. So nobody ever tries to make small talk with me. New York is interestingly a good place to be an introvert for that reason. You know, I'm both, I'm an extrovert and an introvert. So I feel like New York's perfect. It's like, when I want to be extroverted, it's there for me. When I want to be introverted, it's like I put in headphones. It's like nobody speak to me. And if you have a certain look, it's like really nobody will speak to you. Um, But I also find, I feel like people just know, I'm a native. I've lived here my whole life. I feel like no matter what, people just know and they always have like questions. They're like, that person's been here forever. Like, I need to know how to get to Barrow Street. I'm going to ask him. Yeah. It just Uh, becomes like the look on your eyes and everything and like just the way you dress. You could easily be seen as a New Yorker, like from a mile away. Yeah. COVID really helps because it's like I have a big mask on and it's like, who's coming up to me anyway? So, you know, like makes it very easy to like not speak to somebody. Although the other day somebody was at a mask and they were like handing out flyers and all like a ninja they just popped up behind me they were like like i remember what they were trying to sell and i was like we are still in covid (laughs) like you know i we may have both gotten shots but like i don't need you popping up in my face like that you know that that, it's not acceptable um see that's the one thing i couldn't stand and i know that like the new york subways have a lot more um people like playing guitar and shit and just getting in your business yeah it's annoying i mean i haven't really taken a subway in over a year so (laughs) i think it's the same thing for everyone right now i took it twice and like i was not happy both times i took it there was somebody who came in with that this was in the worst of it too it was like this wasted person came in without a mask. They were belligerent. They were obviously like off their mind. You know, I, I had to get out and go to the other car. Um, but I, I miss it. Like, I, you know, I've, I've ridden the subway since I was a little kid. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. It's part of my life. Like, I don't even have to lean. Like, I could kind of just like stand and surf. Like, I don't have to touch anything even. Um, so I have to go sign books um later this week at uh, a, a bookstore up by columbia um and i'm like i'm gonna take the train i'm gonna do it it's time it's time to get back are you guys still at the point where you have to have like face mo- uh, face masks on in public yes i think they're about to lift it outdoors soon and i agree with that and i've mm-hmm. been like as careful as possible but I feel like outdoors is becoming theater now and we've vaccinated better 
than most places. Mm-hmm. And also in terms of people wanting the vaccine, you know, especially in Manhattan in particular, um, some neighborhoods are 70% almost. Um, so I think it's time. Indoors, no. I mean, uh, that uh, they'll keep here for, I think, a good t- a good while. And so on the train, I don't want to see somebody without a mask, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I would not would not be comfortable. There's no air. Like, where's the air coming from? Yeah, I don't know. That's why I avoid the train. We have it. We have to wear masks inside, but not outside. But most people wear them anyways because it's shockingly cold in the city still. Oh, really? And it just so kind of gives you like that yeah. warmth of like yeah. bringing back. Yeah. This weekend was the first. Like, I was kind of all around the city. Like, I walked all the way downtown so it was maybe like six miles in total mm-hmm. and i was walking with somebody we've both been double vaccinated i was like let's just take our masks off you know for this walk don't you love and- how like dirty it feels to say that like ooh, we're committing a crime just a yeah bit. and we we both were like it's time you know if first of all we're more inoculated at this moment than we'll ever be because i'm literally two weeks out of my second shot so like if there's any moment to be a little free like it's this moment mm-hmm. um and you would see like 50 percent of people doing that you know obviously a lot more younger we're we're more apt to do it um but I, 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 there wasn't like looks for having it off where it used to be like i would give somebody a look why isn't your mask on what are you what are you doing kind of um so it was a beautiful day it was like 65 degrees it was nice it was sunny mm-hmm. um so I, I i'm feeling more ready to do that i know my building like you have to wear your mask so to like be in the elevator the staircase go past the front door. We have Um, that too. Yeah. 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 Which I think is smart. You know, like they've been very, very careful. You couldn't even at the worst of it have visitors. And I was like, good. Yeah. We had it where we had a cap on how many people could visit. We moved in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So I don't know like any of my neighbors except by their Wi-Fi names. That's all I know them by. That's interesting. <laughs> Especially because they have very, like, you could tell some people definitely want to meet each other because there's, like, five yeah, Spaceball yeah. references on some of their names. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ours is Ted Cruz's Zodiac Killer. We have one called A Van Down by the River. Like, nice. people are creative. <laughs> I like that. Nice, nice. It's a weird time to meet new people, you know. But I think that'll, you know, this summer will start to change in terms of that. Where people will be like a little more open mm-hmm. in terms of it but yeah like i met a neighbor in in the midst of this and it was kind of like hey hey and i was like did you move in he was like yeah i was like all right welcome to the building bye <laughs> you know like it really is like was, everyone's kind of like slowly walking away from you as the conversation starts yeah like it like it was just like it was just weird or like i went to a, a friend's um their kid turned one so they had like a one-year-old birthday party Mm -hmm. and i I was talking with another friend and i felt like they kept taking a step back and i was taking a step forward and i was like oh like am i getting in your like grill a little bit too much they were like i didn't even realize i was doing that like it it, it's not you at all and i was like no it's just a natural reaction like you're a little too close you know like but i think in some ways 
was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, what are they going to do in Europe where everybody had to kiss each other on the cheek three times when you meet somebody, which was always disgusting. Like they do that in that... Miami too. Ugh. Like I don't. I, I. I'm not a fan of like people I don't know. Like I'm a little bit OCD about that. So like it always weirded me out in Europe where I had to like kiss everybody on the cheek over and over and over and over. And these people you don't even know and they all smoke and so they have smokers breath. Ugh. Like yeah, yeah. So I think that's something. Even handshakes like. You know, will we or just like, tap it on the elbows? Even like hugs and everything. I'm just want to be like, hey, what's up? And sort of wave and not talk to them too much. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 more of a hugger, like especially with people I know. I I, I like hugs. Um, but you think about with kids, it's like kids are made to hug everybody. It was like remember when you were a kid, you it was like your parents were like put you around the room where you had to like go and hug every person. You know, <laughs> so like maybe something that that that'll kind of go away. That you know. You don't need to make the kids be trained seals and just hugging everybody just because they're a kid. See, I think I eventually was socially engineered into hugging, but it's been a nice break to not yeah. have to hug people. Yeah, I'm missing it, though. Like, I, 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 when I saw people last weekend, there were some people I hugged for the first time in a year. Mm-hmm. And all we all, you know, all people who were, you know, double vax at this point. And it was nice. It was, you know, I missed, I missed hugging them. I, you know, missed that kind of contact with people. There are definitely going to be some societal norms that aren't going to be accepted anymore. Like, as you said, the kiss thing. I also think like another one would be like blowing out candles on a Christmas, uh, birthday cake. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's these things that like your life is the same. Like, who cares? Yeah. It's like tiny things. Even shaking hands. It's like some people's hands are disgusting. I know I've suddenly become totally against money, like physical cash. Yeah, yeah. Because they are just totally covered in germs. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's been going away already a little bit. You know, like uh, like I went and got a salad from this place the other day. And if I wanted to pay in cash, I couldn't. You know, they, there's a lot of places here right now that literally aren't accepting cash. Um, and it's a pain in the ass too when somebody's like in front of you online and they're like counting out like you know quarters and dimes to pay their thing. You're like, uh, just like run your credit card, like come on, or your Apple Pay, whatever. Like, what? <laughs> I like Apple Pay the best, so I don't really have to touch anything. Yeah, I don't use it, but I could see the appeal of that definitely. Yeah, I apparently could pay with Apple Pay on my Apple Watch too. That gets me a bit nervous, but yeah, so I just kind of tap it on the screen. Yeah, I mean, a lot of places you could just tap the credit card now, so I prefer that. Even I like I, I haven't. I'm an Apple person, but I don't like everything being Apple. I don't. I, there's something just odd. Like I just got a first my first iPhone, even though I've always had Apple computers. Like I, I just wasn't ready to like give everything to Apple just yet see i didn't have an iphone until i started dating a guy who is obsessed with apple and he's like okay we need new cell phones and he just picked me up an iphone and i was like all right i guess i'm doing this now well also because when you get like a text from somebody who doesn't have it it's clear that it's a text coming from somebody with like an android it definitely is different I could say once you have an iPhone, though, you become completely clueless as to how to handle an Android. Yeah, completely. And it's so much better. I mean, I've had mine now. I actually need a new one. So I've had it maybe almost two years. 
Um, and I, I'll never go back. It was like my my other one, my contract was always up when there'd be a new Android. So it always just kind of worked and made sense. And then I was like, nah, it's time to break this cycle. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Yeah. I, I kind of always prefer iPhone people to Android people just because I feel like they're, they kind of like look down on iPhone people, I noticed. I think there's an element of like, you know, it's it's almost similar in, in, in my book. Um, she talks about Mother Love Bone, the band, and it's like people who like are into grunge, but not like think they're, you know, they know like the more cool kind of grunge bands or like the not mainstream ones. So I think it's similar with like an Android lover. It's like we're bucking the trend kind of. <laughs> Hey, without Mother Love Bone, we wouldn't have Pearl Jam. Very true. Yeah, and that would be that would be sad. So, gotta give them props. What do you listen to music off of? Mainly, like, what's your main medium? Um, I made a switch to Spotify a little over a year ago, and I'll never go back. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's great. You know, the the one thing I miss about. I, I feel like there's a lot of songs I've now forgotten about that I like had on my iTunes that n- now I'm I'm not remembering. So I tend sometimes to listen to the same things over and over again with Spotify. Um, but especially during the pandemic to just be like, I want to hear this and like, boom, it's there. Um, and to be able to create a, like a playlist to share for, for, you know, a book um, is, is, has been really cool too. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Spotify fan. Do you make playlists for the other books you write? I've made playlists before. It was more like songs I was like listening to at the time for these books, obviously, because every chapter is a different song. Um, it, it just made sense. So like the next book is called grenade bouquets. It's the name of the band that, that, that she's in. Um, so, and it, it, it it's veering a little bit more because that book now is taking place in 95. We're moving away from like grunge grunge. We're getting a little bit more into like alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like Juliana Hatfield and Letters to Cleo and you know, um, Space Hog and like more like those kind of bands. Um, and it's interesting like how fast that kind of shifted. We're like post Kurt Cobain dying. It, you know, the the world was kind of shifting in terms of like, or the world, anybody who liked that music was kind of shifting more towards a little bit more of like a poppier sound. And I think it's because obviously just studios started recording a lot more popular music and they started to also get into pop punk bands and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You had like Rancid and, and, and those things. And so the second book's really about that. It's like, they kind of want to shoehorn that they want to stay more grunge and the record company wants more poppy and it causes, but the poppy is then kind of what does well. So they have this, you know, kind of crisis about that. Like, are we staying true to like what we love and believe in, um, you know, or are we like not allowing ourselves to like, like this music just because, you know, like, is it okay to like this more poppy music? and kind of give up our grunge kind of cred. I like it when you can see a natural growth in a band, but I mm-hmm. hate when you could suddenly see this the twist where it's like, oh, your record studio definitely made you go that direction. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't. I wonder if that happens as much anymore, where we're not as like album based, and artists seem to have a little bit more kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could think of like certain albums in certain bands where it was obviously almost like overproduced. You know, like it was this producer coming in and giving it like a sheen, like a glossy sheen to it. To, like, Taylor Swift, I would actually say I think I really noticed the shift in her music, like, after Fearless was, like, read and Reputation. Forgive me, I don't like Taylor Swift. It's just I listened to an hour of Yeah, no, 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 and no shame, like... But, like, then I suddenly noticed as she got older, like, after 1989, and she started doing, like, her own music, like, Mm -hmm. where she, like, dropped that big machine label yeah suddenly it was kind of more her words again and i found that fascinating yeah that was the album because like i said ryan adams did a cover of all those songs and i really liked him at the time that was my first kind of instance into her i was like oh wow these songs are really good and then and then i listened to her a little bit more um and there was the album she released during covid i love bon um she does a song with him exile so maybe interested yeah exile so like i listened to it for that and like that beautiful song and like you know um so just maybe like respect her a little bit bit more and i feel like she's also like not in our face as much as she used to be sometimes some of these celebrities they get so big it's like you can't not hear about them it gets like exhausting and i feel like i don't hear about her all the time but i also don't have like a 15 year old in my life so you know maybe that's why like i don't have to hear about her once you suddenly get like teenagers in your life you hear about taylor swift like that is huge with them yeah i feel like by the time i'll have kids and they'll be teenagers um you know taylor swift will be like 50. See, I'm happy to not have kids yet. I just get to kind of experiment with just the nieces and nephews and be like, what do you like? And suddenly I walk home and I'm just like, thank God those aren't my kids. I'm going to have to, the third book in the series, which I'm going to start sometime over the summer, it takes place in the 90s and in present time. So it's it's Nico's daughter kind of going back to her. um, Nico goes missing, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And... So the daughter kind of becomes a detective to hunt her down. Um, so it's it, it takes place in present. So I, I'm going to need to like lean on some people I know with kids to be like, what's it like? But I thought this was actually really smart to set myself up. So her and her friends are like Luddites. So they reject all kind of technology. Um, and that's kind of their thing. Um, so I feel like that'll help me a lot to like not have to deal with like TikTok and Snapchat and and all that and and they love old music so they reject everything current and it was really me just being lazy and being like i don't want to deal with it <laughs> did you hear that elon musk is going to be yeah, on Saturday Night Live? boring it's so odd because he's not a great public speaker no no it's weird i'm like could you not get anybody else did nobody have something to promote like bob odenkirk has a movie out now like just get him i would just get anybody i just don't think I'm not thinking, I don't think he's funny. Because he's trying even... to make awkward jokes occasionally while like unleashing new like yeah. things. Yeah, it's going to be not probably the best one. But sometimes it, when they're terrible, it's it's actually amusing to watch a little bit because they're like so bad. So like I really think like the best skits they could do around him are like 
awkward guy sketches yeah, yeah. and stuff. Or like making fun of Tesla, you know, like stuff like that. Like, you know. Yeah. Or maybe more SpaceX. I feel like that's Space more of his stuff. thing. Yeah. His kid's name. No, I don't think they're going to go there. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. First of all, you can't make fun of anything. So, like, you cannot make fun of a child's name. That is off limits 100%. But let's legit say nobody knows how to say that name. <laughs> no, no. And, and I'm it's dying like, to hear him say it just so I could be like, thank you. This is how we know what his name is. Only somebody whose parent is a gajillionaire could get away with having a name like that. <laughs> Like the regular, a regular person, it would not be an easy life. You could always pull the George Costanza thing, though, and try and just name somebody seven. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, are there any cool bands that you're planning to see once end times are over? Um, I mean, I definitely have. There's some I've never seen that, like, like, I've always wanted to see Fleetwood Mac, and I've never seen them. And I was like, oh, if they ever tour again, like, I really want to see them. And then some some newer bands, like, I love, like, The Head and the Heart. I really want to see um, The Metzingers. I would, I would like to. Um, maybe some grunge bands, just for the nostalgia factor connected to Runaway Train. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see Soul Asylum and give them a copy. That would be really cool. I was in touch with their manager and they okayed the lyrics in the book. So like that was really, I had to purchase the lyrics to use in the book. Um, but I was in a little bit talks about getting the, the lead singer, the the book, and it didn't quite happen. So I'd like to go maybe see them and give them a copy. What's the last concert you've been to? Um, it's been that long. Yeah, I don't even remember. Oh my god, I actually remember what it was. Yeah. Okay. It's a li- so as a joke, um I I knew a few people who legit wanted to. Um it was Mariah Carey's Christmas album. And so as a joke, I was like, that's gonna be hilarious. And so I took an edible and went to that. <laughs> and to her credit, she was amazing like i was thinking i was gonna laugh at it and i really didn't like it was it was pretty cool um so it's a little bit of an embarrassing one but i have no shame so that was my last concert the mariah carey christmas album at radio city no at um not radio city um with a knicks play oh my god why am i having a brain fart Whatever, a huge auditorium with 30,000 people, yeah. That sounds so rad. I, w- I would love to see that. Yeah, and I was, Nick, there was some, there was like six people I knew and I was on the end and there was this girl next to me and she was nuts. And she spilled her drink, I remember, on me like eight times. <laughs> and then fell and then we had to pick her up and like... The, uh, yeah yeah see like so, at a rock show i would expect beer falling on me but other than that no she was wasted face like it, it was it was funny and and then it was like this person needs to get out of my face <laughs> so like that's my last concert memory that's gonna <laughs> yeah. be like mariah carey seems like she would pull those people in 
to her like demographic people were losing their minds like it, it impressed me because i was like she really has fans first of all it was three blocks from my house so it was like easy <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was right there um and there were people that it, i felt like they were like giving birth like on like at the concert like they were just so excited it was it, it, pulling their hair out and screaming and you know she played like nine songs like she didn't stress too much yeah i mean her why kids would came you? out You're her kids Perry. did it her kids did a dance she gave a monologue that lasted for like 20 minutes about oh, like God. santa um but that's what i expected i was that was the crazy that i wanted from it like i wanted to hear like her like being like weird and eccentric um and then there were a few songs where it was like okay mariah carey but yeah oh i remember so the concert right before that it was the same week um was uh the complete opposite and a band i love was tool and that was a fantastic concert so in one week it was like tool mariah carey and then COVID. <laughs> now that's and i'm sure be. your listeners have no clue who Tool is. They really? Have no, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We've had Maybe. quite a few hardcore people. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Maybe. I mean, Tool, it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. My friend worked for Sony, so I got amazing free tickets. And we were like right up front, kind of. And they were awesome. They were like, you had to, um, you couldn't film it. So phones were not allowed. Mm-hmm. And one by one, you would see somebody like take out a phone to try to like film it and security like drag them out. So and the lead singer was like, no, I want you to pay attention to the music, like stopping on your phone for one second. And then, then when they did their last song, he was like, now you can take out your phone and like go crazy. Um, so, yeah, it was two interesting last concert memories. Definitely. See, the last concert I saw was Sleater Kinney and they had that's the phone a great thing one. Too where like you had to put the phones in these like bags and like only security can like open it up as you exit the show. Oh wow. No, this was a bigger stadium so I don't think they oh, could yeah. have done that. Um so it was like an honor code kind of, but I maybe saw like dozens of people being taken away. Um <laughs> and I saw they one they enforced it. <laughs> Yeah, I remember seeing somebody like they looked to the left, they looked to the right, and then they like snuck it out, and then security was like on them, you know. Um, Anybody like they could tell if someone's doing that, they're like, yeah, they're gonna probably take a phone out. And the thing is, in all honesty, like, do you really need that? Are you really gonna then like go home and rewatch? Like, no, you're not. Nobody cares. You're gonna post it on your Instagram, and everyone's gonna Fine. like it, and then like no it. One's gonna okay, remember. you're a yeah, you're a tool. Great, you know, like. All right. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have sort of like I, I do a lot of social media for business and it's good for business. But then I'm exhausted by it, too, because it, it, like I don't know, sometimes it just feels like I don't care. <laughs> I definitely do the same thing, but I never know what I should be posting. So I just do random ass things. Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of book stuff, but then I try, like, to pepper in some other stuff, so it's not just that, but then I'm like, I really just want to be posting the book stuff and keep it to business, and that's it. Occasionally, I'll, like, throw in a hot take, and I'm just like, oh, okay, that got the wrong response. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been a lot less, like, not open, that's not the right word, but I I keep 
I keep my opinions a little more myself more so um, because some things I think my humor doesn't always translate. So I don't want to offend anybody. And especially now writing young adult, like we did a whole final edit of the book where I made sure that anything remotely offensive, I removed from the book. And like, there was even a line um, where she refers to like one of the popular girls at school um, that she it was just a horrible person as like the queen of the bulimics club. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody who read the arc on, on Goodreads was like, you know, you really dealt with so many um, mental issues so well in the book. Um, but then to have a line like that, like bulimia is, you know, really serious and wrote this whole thing about it. And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. And I removed it from the final copy. Um, so I, I really appreciated you know that because to me i was just trying to be like cute and funny and it's not funny you know like so i i'm I'm really trying especially with young adult to like um you know mind myself in the context of that time it would have been funny like for people like us yeah 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 yeah. they take that shit seriously now well and like even you know there's there's certain things that flew back then that you'd be like, sure, in the 90s, somebody would say that or a word or something like that, and it doesn't work now. And somebody could make an argument, well, it was said in that time, but does it need to be there? No, you know, so like, it, it you know, it should be removed. And, you know, obviously, like, at the time in the 90s, that phrase, somebody would have looked at it as a joke. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know what it's like to deal with something like that, nor should I pretend like I do? So it was very easy for me to be like, no, I'm going to tell my editor that it's gone. And it was. I've noticed that a lot of shows like uh, with Mad Men, they do it when like there's going to be like some racism or something like that, Mm -hmm. where they do like a disclaimer in the beginning, like we're not cutting it out because it's part of the time, but we definitely just not into it. Yeah, I mean, it's easier to do with a TV show, obviously, than a book, Um, you know, that makes it harder. I think there's some elements of different errors that if if it's if it's there for a purpose, either to teach about, you know, the wrongs of of using it, um, then there's a necessity. Um, If it's there for no reason, um, then does it have to be there? I mean, like, I could think of, you know, like, like, um, like a disabled person you know, back in the nineties would have been referred to slang wise, possibly in a different, with a different word. And it was more of a norm where you would never use that word now. Um, so that's also, you know, something in writing the book, I'd be like, yeah, a character may have said it back then, but is it integral to the story that I need to have it be in the book? Of course not. So like, why would I put it there? Because if somebody's offended by something, in the book then it's taking them outside of the book that being said you know there's an element where there's a line too because somebody might become offended by anything so you, you have to you know you can't ultimately just you know kind of take everything out of 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 a work just because you're afraid that somebody somewhere might be offended by it um, so it's like you have to pick and choose kind of what's important and what's most integral 
to the story. And I think with YA, you really, really, really have to take that into consideration. Um, you know, like there was even a, um, a line in the second book where one of the characters, he's a little overweight and he was running and she refers to his like man boobs. And she's saying it funny. Like you laugh. It's fun. You know, it's of that time. Yeah. And it's something that like, but somebody reading it, if that's the thing that's taking them out of it, because it cuts them or it hurts them or it offends them, does it need to be in the book? No. So like my editor was just like, you know, I don't think that's appropriate if you're okay with taking it out. And I was like, I didn't even notice it. So thank you for telling me. And it's gone. Because if your um, market really is like young adults, like they'll notice yeah. that really quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there. You know, it, it's something I'm I'm nervous about with this book because you know my character is. It's not that she's offensive. She's like a lot. So she's a lot to take almost. You know, she says just what's on her mind all the times, and she's a very like type A type person. Um, and, you know, again, me as a, as a guy writing in, 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 in a female voice, um, I want to make sure everything is, you know, is, as, as respectful as, as possible. Um, I think they can take a character like that. Like if that generation is really into like 13 reasons why and other shows yeah, similar, so yeah, like they, yeah. they could take grungy and hard to deal with but i think it comes to a lot of like the wording for some things yeah i mean so far all the feedback i've gotten and feedback i've gotten from from young adults um has been really positive um you know especially like somebody wrote about that that um you know it was a similar experience that they were having you know in terms of losing a sibling of theirs and that even though it was a different era that they you know connected and related to it i think you know it's the best thing that a f- fiction can do is make you feel less alone um, in terms of something um, that, that you're going through, um, you know, because a lot of our emotions are, are universal. And sometimes it's like finding um, somebody else going through something similar. So you feel that you're not the only one, um, you know, and if you live in a small town somewhere that it's not always that easy necessarily. And, you know, a, a book allows you to open up that new world. Mm hmm. Do you want to read an excerpt of it? Sure. I have. Um, so I have an excerpt. I've, I've two that I was thinking. One is like a little bit of a monologue that she does. Um, and the other is more like back and forth. Um, do you think the monologue would be okay? I would say whatever you feel you can read the best. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to like film this monologue to, to read as like a promotional thing. So I think it would really help me to kind of like try it out if that's cool. Do it. Yeah. Okay. So this takes place later in the book. Um, and the character, like I said, she, she loses her sister. Her sister has a brain aneurysm. Um, and they were never too close cause they were very different. So she's remembering, uh, a, a, a really kind of positive memory of her sister um, and she's telling it to, to the guy that, that she's seeing as like a remembrance of, of her sister. Um, so um, yeah, this is from Runaway Train. Kristen and I once, I say, feeling a tickle in my belly that causes me to laugh like a horse. I stop biting my lip as the memory shines bright. I had this project to do for theater class and she agreed to help me. 
it was like a moment when I thought I'd be really into theater, but then I saw who I'd have to hang out with. Anyway, there was this blizzard, so we couldn't leave. I decided to do an interpretive dance to that Voices That Care song where all the celebrities got together to stand tall and proud for the soldiers in Desert Storm. Kristen choreographed it, and we practiced all freaking day. Like, we were in the movie The Cutting Edge, and I was Kate preparing for the Olympics in figure skating. It was the first time we spent more than five minutes with each other in forever, sans vacations. I went to sleep even humming the song, but before I passed the hell out, this is the real part of the story, by the way, we realized a major, major thing. We saw 90210 in two very different ways, and this was like huge. We knew we both watched it, but we each had separate TV in our rooms, and since we barely hung out, neither of us would have even thought to suggest watching it together. Sometimes in passing, we'd make a comment like, she surprisingly did not like Andrea Zuckerman, which was weird because she was basically a gorgeous Andrea Zuckerman. Nothing against Andrea Zuckerman or anything. Or like, we both agreed the best episode was when David Silver's kind of annoying friend Scott Scanlon shot himself with a gun when he was just messing around with it. And like, Kristen loved Brandon, I loved Dylan, but we honestly like both again. The gigantic wedge between us was that she believed Dylan should be with Kelly, while I wanted Brenda, surly fucking Brenda that will cut a bitch with her eyes, and not beautiful blonde Kelly, the poor rich girl with a cokehead mom. Like, I was not crying for Kelly. And so it became this thing, like, she'd call me Brenda, and I'd call her Kelly, and it was just this little you know, whatever, like, we wouldn't even do it all the time. It just happened naturally. And to be honest, I would like her to drop more every time she called me Brenda. And I think she did it. I stop, ready for the tears, but I've realized I've emptied my well. She did it because she knew I got a kick out of it, and, like, that was going to be our thing. We'd be middle-aged with kids, and we'd call each other that, and, like, our kids would have no freaking clue what we are talking about. 90210 would be so uncool and, and, and grunge as well. They'll be listening to something we so can't relate to. But this little piece of the past would just pop up every once in a while. I think the hardest thing about losing her is that she's the person who's known me the longest, right? Like, siblings always get to have that bond. And now I'm an, I'm an only child. And it's so goddamn weird, you know? Like... I never prepared for that. It's just not fair. It's not fair. It's a raw deal, a really fucking raw ass deal. And I'm pissed, Evan. I'm fucking pissed. And I don't know who to be pissed at. So I'm pissed at everybody. And I'm having a really hard time letting go of that. It's like I'm on this train, this, this fucking speeding train. And every time I think I could leap off, it goes faster until one day it just flies off the rails. That's the end of the excerpt. I dig it. Yeah. Thank you. That's really good. Thank you. Thank you. You had some really great references in there too. Yeah, that's probably the most 90s of like, you know, the moment where, you know, she's she's kind of just throwing them all out there. And it was it it's so much how like a lot of, you know, especially when you're a teenager, so much connections you have with other people are, 
are, are, are based on like the things you love. So the music you like, the shows you watch, you know, like the actor you love. Um, so, you know, with her and Kristen, cause they, they never got really along. It was like those moments when they connected on those levels, really the only moments they were connecting. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely feel that. I mean, I'm a nineties kid, but you know, millennials. So on mm-hmm. the other side, yeah, but no, we definitely live by references and jokes and stuff. And, we all kind of vibe more to the early 90s music, so yeah. Well, it was better. It really was. We had NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. We'd rather go back to the good music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. I mean, we're not there yet, you know, error-wise with these books, but Nico would not have been a fan, no. No, hopefully she would have liked some of the better music that came out. Not that I can yeah. think of anything right now. <laughs> you know, smaller bands and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it would definitely be that. But yeah, okay. You want to wrap this up? Plug some um, um, Yeah, I, I, I hope people enjoyed you know, this podcast and um, check out Runaway Train. It comes out on Thursday, so April um, 29th. And then the sequel comes out April, uh, August 5th. Um, so yeah, if you like a good YA book or a nostalgia factor, um, check it out. It's great. Um, yeah. It was really great talking to you. You too, Mallory. Thanks so much for having me. Um, And yeah, this is a pleasure to do. Yeah. Hopefully we get to do it again sometime. I'm down. I'd be down for the sequel, definitely. I know. I'm just immediately like, I'm calling you up in August. Like, Sounds good. Okay. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right. You too. Take care. All right, that was Lee Matthew Goldberg with a rad-as-fuck reading from his latest book, Runaway Train. If you want to find out more about him, check out his website, leematthewgoldberg.com, or check him out on Twitter, at leematthewg. I strongly encourage people to look up some of his books. Runaway Train is a particularly fun read. It's about a girl who skips town in the early 90s after the death of her sister, The goal was to end up at Kurt Cobain's house, but she never could have guessed what would happen along the way. Cool suspense, great writing, definitely check it out. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at Pod Healing and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, leave, leave us a review. We love it when you send us good vibes check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the rad as fuck ones to come thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the show